This is the Life Church Podcast. I'm going to ask my friend Ken Roberts to come up here. About three years ago, um, I, was, I won't say it was a crisis. I'll say I was in a, in a season of trying to see what's next. You know, not, not, not looking for anything next, but just trying to determine, Father, is this how it is? You know, because there's this cycle. We started this church 13 years ago, and it's kind of a, a cycle of church growing, and it grows, and we get in a new building, and then it grows, and we get in another building. And, and I'm like, is this how it's supposed to be till I'm 100 years old? You know, I don't have the stamina. I don't have the energy for that. And so I was going through this inner thing inside of me, and um, I didn't know exactly what it was, but I remember uh, I was invited to a meeting up in Cedar Rapids, yeah. and Pastor Ken Roberts was up there preaching at this meeting, and I just made a connection with him. And then about a year or so later, we, we got in touch, and he's be- now become my, my mentor coach for the last uh, year and a half or so. We've, been, we've had a relationship where I, we talk every month, and he comes here, and he He's kind of working, coaching me through some things, and it's been really, really fantastic, and it's been transformative for me, and I thought it's important for you to meet, meet Ken Roberts. He's been a blessing, and so, Ken, I'm taking too much of your time, so I love, love you, brother. You, Appreciate Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Hey, good morning, everybody. They told me that you were the liveliest bunch of all three of the meetings, so I'm expecting a lot of feedback, Okay. Good morning, everybody. One more time. You are there. Awesome. Hey, listen, how many of you love uh, the positive traits of Pastor Rich? Let me see your hands. I had everything to do with that. (laughs) Not really. How many of you dislike the negative things of Pastor Rich's life? I had had nothing to do with that, okay? Everybody wants to know who's this guy up front and you know why is he here? Let me just give you a little bit of my story, then we'll get right into the the word uh, today. But uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor, and so I grew up in the Assemblies of God denomination. I pastored a church in Cleveland, Ohio, on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio, for 25 years. I was a senior pastor there. And then about 10 years ago, we moved to to Minneapolis, and I pastored a church in Maple Grove, Minnesota, northwest suburb of Minneapolis. I was there for about eight years. And then like Pastor Rich was talking about, I was in my uh, late 50s, and I was beginning to kind of ask God what was next for me. I kind of felt that story, what was next for me. I began to ask him, what was my greatest contribution that I felt like I could give the next 10, 15, 20 years if God gave me strength and you know, clarity of mind, what would that be? And so I made the decision to uh, no longer be a senior pastor, but I moved back to Cleveland, Ohio. Most of my family's there, so that's why I'm in Cleveland. And I moved back, to, I didn't bring, move back for the Browns, I moved back for a different reason, so that was a joke. So I moved back to, for my family, and, uh, you know, and right now God's given me three things that I believe he wants me to do. I call it three nails to hit for the rest of my life as long as I'm, I have uh, energy to do it. And here's the three things. God wants me to help people to, I say, live a focused life so they can live a fruitful life. You know, how many of you know how, you know, life kind of pushes us around here, there, and we wake up one day, and then we ask ourselves the question, what did I do with my life? One of my life verses is uh, Psalms 90, verse 12, where it says, uh, Lord, teach me to number my days aright, so at the end of my life, I can present to you a life of wisdom. I'm often, you know, provoked, motivated by Matthew 25, where it says there that at the end of my life, it's the, the parable about the gifts. When I, re, when I get to heaven, when I trip into heaven, what I hope God will say to me is, well done, good and faithful servant. So I want to live my life with uh, purpose, with intentionality, and I hope I can help other people do that. So that's the one thing I do, just help people focus their lives so they can live a fruitful life. So at the end of their life, they can hear God say, you've done a good job, you know, with your life. The second thing that God's given me to do is to help pastors and help them in this way. 
My dad's a pastor. He's still pastoring at the age of 88. I've been at it for a long time. Church world is about all I know. But you may not be aware of this, but the burnout rate, fallout rate, dropout rate among pastors in the United States is at an all-time high, and it's growing every year. The other stat that's very, very disturbing is that the longer a Christian leader or pastor goes in Christian ministry, the more unhealthy they become, just the pressures and the demands and those type of things. And so God's put something in my heart, you know, to help us as pastors, my colleagues, and here's the way I say it, so that we can live well while we lead well. So we can ask the question, who are we becoming as we're trying to help others? What's happening internally in us? Are we continuing to live well? I mean, spiritually well, emotionally well, or we continue to also to pursue what God has given us. So that's the second area that I hit. The third nail that God's given me is to actually partner with local churches because I pastored for a long, long time. I know the dynamics of a local church and all the things that go on with those type of things. To help partner with a local church for help a church with ongoing health and growth. My desire is to see local congregations be strong from the inside out, that we produce disciples, people who are authentic followers of Jesus Christ, and that reproduces for us to go out and help others and share our life and to see others come to Jesus Christ. So, so, so there's a growth from the inside out. So that's who I am, and that's why I'm here. And as Rich said, we've had some connections over the last couple of years. You have a great pastor. You guys have a great church. And you need to really uh, guard what God has given you. Today, I want to talk to you about uh, something that's actually my life message. If you were to cut me, uh, this is what would come out. If you were to wake me up at night and say, hey, you need to say something and talk with a group of people, this would be probably one or three things that would come out. I want to talk to you today about being shaped by life. Because here's the reality. Every one of us are being shaped by life today in one way or the other. You don't need a prophetic gift. I don't need a prophetic gift to declare today that all of us are going through things. Many of you may be going through some major things in your life right now. All of us are going through small things that we face every day. And what that does to us, in the end, we are being shaped by life. So I want to talk to you about that. It's amazing to me that if we took a survey in churches today and asked people, what is God's goal for us? We would get a lot of different answers. The goal would be God wants us to have forgiveness, which he does. God wants us to have eternal life, which he does. God wants us to get to heaven, which he does. God wants us to have a great marriage, which he does. God wants us to have a great family, which he does. God wants us to have health, which I think he does. God wants us to be fruitful, which he does. God wants us to, you know, be prosper. All those things I would say God does, but God's number one goal for us is this. God wants us to be transformed into the image of his son. That's his desire. That is, the longer you and I go, that we become more and more, more like Jesus Christ. If you would go to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, we'll have these slides here and we'll read them off the slide. So Romans chapter 8. So God shapes us. You're being shaped today. You don't have an option. I'm being shaped today. And here's basically our options are one or two ways. Life is either twisting us up. You may not see that from the outside. You know, we may not look you know, like the hunchback of Notre Dame from the outside. It may not be twisting us that way from the outside. But life can twist us from the inside out, where things that you're going through, a situation that you, you face, with something you're facing right now, it has a way that it can twist us, or there's another option. The option is that it can transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So watch, if you would, as we read these verses, Romans chapter 8, here's what Paul says. Here's he's talking about our goal. Every one of us, wherever you're at in your journey, maybe you're just checking this Jesus thing out. Maybe you're new to this thing. 
Maybe you're just getting water baptized, you know, in a couple of weeks, and so you're kind of making your confession of faith. Maybe you've been around for a long time. Maybe you're somewhere in between. But for all of us, Jesus wants us to become more and more being conformed or shaped into his image, and that's what Paul says here in this passage. Here's what he says, Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, say all things if you would, please, just for me, all things. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, means from the very beginning, to be conformed, shaped. The word there is metamorphosis. You know, it's the idea of a cocoon, a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, metamorphosis, be conformed into the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now watch this scripture in the message. Here's how it says this. I love it. It says that this way. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives, love for God is worked into something good. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning in my life and in your life. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He has decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him, which we do, which I do, which you do, along the same lines as the life of his son. So he's saying that there's a way that we're to be shaped and he has somebody in the pattern that's first and then we follow after. And here's what he says. The son, that's Jesus Christ, stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. So our, God's goal for us, wherever you're at in your journey, his goal as we walk upon the planet is that we will become more and more shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Look at the scripture, if you would, in 2 Corinthians, and here's the way Paul says it in a different place. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. There's the same word, metamorphous, shaped. We're being transformed into what? Into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, that last worship song that we just sang, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I've been on the planet for, you know, a little while. I'll be 62 in 23 days. Can you believe it? You can either clap or boo, either one. But I'll be 62 in 23 days. That's hard for me to believe. But what I do know is that God's goal for me is that if I go another year, 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 as I'm following Jesus Christ, that somehow I will be shaped and become more and more like him. Not that I become more religious, not that I become more churchianity, not that I become more self-righteous, not that I become more theology and head knowledge, but in my own journey, in my life, I will become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, I think the Bible does teach us that, you know, we don't become perfect in this life. You know, Pastor Rich is almost there and I'm close behind him. That was a joke. But we don't become perfect in this life. But there is a goal. There is a progression. We should not stay where we're at. That's his understanding with ever increasing, moving from glory to glory. Let me give you the third scripture. It's in Galatians. And for many years, this was my pastoral mantra. For probably the last 20 years that I pastored, this was my verse in pastoring. I was asking myself the question, with what we are doing in our church, are we helping people be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ? Are we looking more like him? Are we sounding more like him? Do we carry, as Paul said, the aroma of Christ around with us as we're in different places? And here's what Paul says. My dear children, from whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth, that's how important this was to him. He uses that metaphor until this. He says, I'm in this labor until what? Until Christ is formed, same word, metamorphosis, in you. So that God's goal for us as we follow Jesus Christ is that we will become more and more like him. 
Now, here's what I love about God. He doesn't just give us a goal on the wall and then hope we can kind of somehow stumble into it. Become more like me and okay, go at it. That's not what he does. God is very practical and he's very pragmatic and he helps us in a very, very clear way. I'm gonna give you, in the time I have left, the four ways that God gives us the tools so any of us can become more and more like Jesus Christ. You don't have to grow up in a pastor's home. You don't have to have had a great foundation. You don't have to live on one side of the tracks or the other side of the tracks. You don't have to have a certain IQ. You don't have to have grown up in the church or never grown up in the church. God gives us ways that you and I can become more and more like Jesus Christ. So he doesn't just say, hey, this is your goal. Hope you can make it. He gives us, let me give you those four things of the tools that he gives us. Number one, he gives us a new nature. This is extremely important. I know that you're taught this here with Pastor Rich, but it's extremely important. When we come to Jesus Christ, listen to me, we're not just forgiven of our sins, which we are. Because of the work of the cross, we are forgiven of all of our sins. We are immediately forgiven of our sins. We can go back to mercy, grace after grace, mercy after mercy, and be forgiven of our sins. But Jesus doesn't leave us that way when we come into salvation. We don't just get our card ticket and go to heaven and forgiven. We are given a new nature when we come to Jesus Christ and are saved. The seed of Christ is now in me. You may not see it to, you may not see it to, to fruition. You don't see it complete. But in me, even if it's embryonic, the seed of Christ is now in me. He's given me a new nature. I like to say it this way. Many people only think of salvation as forgiveness, but it's not. That's only part of the equation. The other equation is the new nature. And now the more that we feed this new nature, we can become more and more like Jesus Christ. I love this illustration. Maybe you've heard it before. But it's like a criminal who committed a crime and he goes to court and the judge that day is in a good mood or by some technicality, he's get, he, the, the criminal has gotten off and he goes back on, the, so he's forgiven of his crime. He doesn't have to pay the penalty. So he goes back and guess what happens? When he goes back up on the street, what will happen? He will do more crime, why? Because he hasn't changed his nature. He's been forgiven of the crime, but his nature hasn't changed. But that's not what God does for us. He says, hey, Ken, you're forgiven of all of your sins because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't say just get back on the street and hope you can find, you know, become more like Christ. He said at the same time, I'm gonna give you everything you need to become that person by giving you a new nature. If you have come to Jesus Christ, you may not fully see it yet, but you have a new nature in the nature of Christ. And one of the things that I'm somewhat burdened about in the church world today is that we need to teach people in a very practical, not just a theological, but a very practical way, how do we feed the new nature so we can grow up more and more mature into our new nature in Christ? So the first thing he does is he gives us a new nature. The second thing he does is he gives us the Holy Spirit. When you and I came to Jesus Christ, we received the third person of the Trinity, and we now have the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Jesus put it this way in John 16, I think it was. He said this. He said, listen, when I go away physically, I'm going to be gone, but I'm not going to leave you just kind of on your own and hoping you can figure this thing out. I'm not going to give you a goal on the wall of, you know, becoming more like Jesus Christ and then just kind of stumble around and see if it happens. What he says is, I'm going to give you a new nature, but not only a new nature, I'm now going to give you the power of the third person of the Trinity. So you and I now have this enablement, we have this grace, we have this empowerment that will help us to do this transformation, this change. Here's what's so amazing about this. Listen to me. 
In the secular world, we would try to do uh, behavior modifications by basically by our will or by changing our habits. And there's some truth to that. You have to change your habits. But maybe you would say, I don't want to do this anymore. So whatever it is, I don't want to smoke anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't want to look at this anymore. I want to change in anger, what it would be. So basically what we do, it's become the thing of our will. And we put new habits in place and we try to do that. But that's not what God does for us. He says, you've already got the new nature. Now you've got the power or the enablement to do it. In the Christian world, transformation isn't behavior modification. It's being empowered by the Holy Spirit with the new nature that's already there that causes us to, to grow more and more into Jesus Christ. Would you do this for me for just a moment? Look at your neighbor and tell them you can become more and more like Jesus Christ. Just tell them if you would, just for a minute. Tell them you're almost, tell them they're almost there. You're almost there. Now let me give you the third one. The third one, so the first one, the new nature, second one, the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And then the third one, he gives us the word of God. I've studied personal development a lot for many, many years as part of my life. And so I've read in that area and studied a lot in that area and been coached in that area. And here's what you'll find. You'll find that all change starts in the mind. All change starts in the mind. Now, for a follower of Jesus, it's a little bit different. It starts in our heart or the new nature, but then secondly, it starts in our mind. Paul said it this way, Romans 12, 2. I, we will be, what? Transformed, how? By the renewing of our mind. All the major passages in the Bible that talks about transformation, which is basically Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, all of those, the main element there, the main scriptures there, talks about having a new mind, being transformed in the mind. Listen, today in our world, neurologists know this, nutritionists know this, physicians know this, psychologists know this. They all know that if a person is going to change even a little bit, they have to change their mind. But God has given us the word of God, not only for theology, which it is, it's not only for doctrine, but it's also for devotion so that we can eat it. And as we eat it, we feed our new nature. That's what the Bible says. And also that it, re it restructures our brain so that we're having the mind of Christ. Here's what I find happen as pastoring and you know, my own life as well doing it. Because we have a new nature, we have a new desire. When you're given a new nature, you have a new desire. But your new desire may not be new habits right away. There's a big difference between the two. You have a new nature, so you don't want to do what you were doing, but your habits may be in the old way. I like to say it like this. It's like the Colorado River running through the Grand Canyon. All of us have things in our soul, in our background, you know, in our life that makes ruts there. So when we come to Jesus Christ, they just don't all go away. So we have a new nature. We don't want to do what we were doing. That's a new nature but we still have the ruts there and the old ways and the old habits. And the way that we are transformed with them, we are transformed them by the word of God. Here's what I find in the church world. I don't know if it's in life church or not. You're a great church, so it may not be, but here's what I find in the church world. We have a new nature and we wanna change, but we don't do the hard work of putting the word of God in our mind. So our new nature wants us to change, but our old hardware in our mind pulls us back. Our new nature wants us to change, but our old mindset pulls us back. Our new nature wants to change, but our old mindset pulls us back. You will never become more like Jesus. Please hear me. You and I will never become more like Jesus Christ if we aren't being transformed by the word of God. My wife, which I don't have the time to, take the, to tell all the story, but my current wife, her name is Missy, 
was married for 18 years and her husband was bipolar. She didn't know that until after they got married. He was a former football player. And she has a very sensitive core as it is. She was not a believer at the time. And he, he, was, he was bipolar and she would come home and she would never know what she was going to get. He was also a very perverted man. And in their marriage, he pushed her toward perversion that she did not want to be a part of. Ten years into that, she came to know Jesus Christ. And her salvation story was extremely dramatic. She was living in Columbus at the time on her way to work. She was going to kill herself that morning. She was already, already taking medication. She had a severe bouts with depression at the time. She had this situation in her home. She was being pushed into these things that she didn't want to be a part of. And she decided the only way out of this is for me to kill myself. She was going down the road, 75 miles an hour. She already knew the bridge embankment that she was going to hit, 75 miles an hour, and kill herself. She turned the Christian radio on. She loves music of all kinds. Had been kind of dabbling with some of the Christian, you know, contemporary music. She turned it on, listened to music, and the DJ at the end of that, which she said she'd never heard him do before, asked anybody who wanted to be to be led in the Lord's Prayer. She repeated the Lord's Prayer with the DJ after she was listening to the music. And as she was doing it, instead of hitting that bridge at 75 miles an hour, she went underneath it. There was another highway above. And as she was going through it, she felt the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. When she got through, she knew she was forgiven by the confession of faith that she had made in the prayer. But her habits of 37 years didn't change overnight. And I could tell you some of the habits, but I won't tell you some of the habits, but they were Colorado River running through the Grand Canyon that for 37 years had been in her life. So she had a new nature. And you know how she changed? She changed by the renewing of her mind. She made it such a, and she was always lied to that she didn't do real well in school. And she was always lied to that she couldn't memorize the word of God. And she started memorizing the word of God, memorizing the word of God, memorizing the word of God, memorizing the word of God. And I have seen a major transformation under my own roof. We got married 10 years later after she got a divorce. We got married 10 years later. And I've seen the own transformation under my own roof. But it happened by being transformed by the word of God. Let me give you the fourth thing. And the first, fourth thing that God does is he shapes us through everyday life. Now, let me just say to you, and I say to you with, gentleness and humility, but very seldom do any of us change at church. <laughs> it's very depressing for pastors. It's very depressing for Pastor Rich. But usually, no matter how good the service is, and we've had a great time in this meeting already, worship was good, it was inspiring, we lifted our hearts to the Lord, we opened ourselves up, we have community, we have people around us, we have opportunity for people to pray for us at the end, you know, we're involved in uh, brothers and sisters who were support us in our change. We're hopefully hearing the word of God that will be applicable to us. But here's the thing. Nobody hardly ever changes while we're in church. Transformation happens when you get outside of church. It happens Monday through Saturday, and it happens this way. Please hear me. It mainly happens through everyday small situations. How did Michael Phelps come up with 27 medals at the Olympics. Practice, 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 practice. If you know his story, he was in the pool every day from the age of seven. And the same thing is true. I don't understand why as believers, if we're gonna become more like Jesus Christ, new nature, Holy Spirit, word of God, that somehow during the day in our everyday life that we don't have to practice so that we'll respond in the proper way and we'll become more and more like him. My major Life-shaping experience happened to me March 9th, 2004. It was a Tuesday morning. I always took Monday off. 
in my pastoral role. I always took Monday off. Tuesday morning, I came downstairs, made the coffee, went to the living room. My wife came down about 10 minutes later. She made her coffee, came to the living room. We had our devotions. And then after our devotions, we started talking about the week. Who's coming over? Where are the kids supposed to be? Who's coming over Thursday night? What's happening this weekend? Just the normal stuff. We went upstairs to get ready for the day, kissed one another and told my wife that I loved her. She told me the same. She took my daughter, her name was Nicole, 21 years of age, who worked for us at our church. She was a church receptionist. She took her and dropped her off there. I went to the health club to work out. I just finished working out and I was heading back home to take a shower and go to the office. I was on Interstate 90 heading east, I still remember it, about to get off the exit. I had my cell phone rang, it was laying in the seat there. My cell phone rang and I picked it up and it was my daughter, Nicole. And my daughter, Nicole, said, hey, dad, the hospital's looking for you. Now, they said, mom's had an accident and they want you to come to the hospital. Now, they didn't know that they had got my daughter. They simply found my work number, which was my church. They called the church number. My daughter has to happen to be the receptionist. She knew my cell phone number, so she called me and she said, dad, mom's been in an accident. I was almost home, stopped by to pick up my son. His name was Brittany, he was 19 at the time. We went about 50 more minutes to the hospital. And there, when I walked to the hospital, they took me to the emergency room. And there, my wife of 25 years, at the age of 47, was lying in front of me in a coma. Life shapes us. The small things shape us, and so do the big things. I guarantee you there are many people in this room right now listening to me that you have gone through or you're going through some big, pretty big things. The story is that my wife, after she brought my daughter off, headed to a women's Bible study that she did every other Tuesday morning. So she dropped her off. It was on a two-way street. She had a brain aneurysm. She had a brain aneurysm. She passed out. She went through a red light. And at the red light, it was a blind spot. There was a pine tree and a convenience store there. A young man on his way in an SUV on his way to work, 21 years of age. He was heading west. She was heading south. He didn't see her. He was blind. She was going 35 miles an hour. He was going 25 miles an hour. Hit her in the door. Brain damage. Brain trauma. She died three days later. My Tuesday that started out as a normal day ended up as a day that would shape my life more than anything else would. And I had two options. The options is that experience at the age of 47, leading a large church with two kids at home, could either twist me or God would use it. He didn't cause it, but he would use it. Romans 8, he uses all things. He would use it to shape me more and more to the image of his son, if I would allow it. I wasn't going to write a book on this. I've written a few books, but I wasn't going to write a book on this. But I had been journaling about this for about two or three years. What I was going through, my grief, my loss, my why questions. What's this all about? I had been the good guy. I'd kept my nose clean. I'd helped other people. I'd never gotten the ditch. God, why, you know, this happened with me. We had just moved into a large auditorium. $10 million project, 38-acre campus. It was, it was our dream as a congregation. We'd been there nine months. She was, she was killed in a car accident. I went through a lot in my own heart. And here's what I wrote. Within weeks of my wife's accident, it became clear that how I responded to her death and the difficult days ahead would indeed shape me. It wasn't a question of if the tragedy would shape me. It was only a question of how it would shape me.
Would it change me for the better or for the worse? Would it move me towards or away from whom I hope to become? The answer, listen to this, would be determined by my response. The choice was mine. Let me just look you in the face, look you in the eye in a very gentle way, but to say whatever you're facing right now, which way it will take you in life has everything to do with how you respond. Whether that's a divorce you're going through, a child that's wayward, a job turn, someone who's betrayed you, a sickness that won't go away, it doesn't make any difference what it was, what it is, your resp response determines how it will influence you. Just a little bit more. I always despised difficulty, fainted during trials, ran from setbacks. I avoided suffering. My basic response, which it was before this accident, was to cry and complain, kick and scream, whine and pout throughout the entire ordeal. Pity parties were a regularly scheduled event in my life. Before this happened to me, I hated difficulty. <laughs> I just hated difficulty. But I began to have an illumination 10 years before this happened, and it was from James 1, which many of you know, where he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. I read that, and 10 years earlier, before the accident happened, it began to have effect in my life. I began to realize, why am I crying all the time about difficulties? Why am I having pity parties all the time about difficulties? Here's what I begin to understand. Although I had read this particular passage on many occasions, again, I grew up in the church, I preached it myself, this time it took hold of me in a very different way. I began to understand and embrace it with deeper meaning. I realized that difficulties will always be a part of the journey. It's called life. And since adversity is unavoidable, which it is, live long enough and everybody has it, <laughs> I should at least grow from it as I go through them. This simple insight set into motion a profound change in my life. Looking back, I now recognize I was graciously being prepared for what was to come. Over the time, over 10 years, this new outlook on this scripture radically reoriented my mental attitude toward difficulties, listen to that, and dramatically rewired my emotional responses to them. Instead of viewing trials as simply unwanted pain, I now approach them as opportunities for growth. Instead of seeing adversity as nothing more than suffering and setback, I now embrace them as an occasion to be shaped into the person I want to become. In reality, this new approach reframed my worldview toward all of life. One other small section. As I read this, I'm going to end. Ask yourself the question with the difficulties that you are going in, going through, and the challenges of your everyday life, which side of the ledger, which side of the balance, which I'm going to read here, do you fall in is how life shaping you? Because I can just tell you, the person you want to become and the destiny you want to be fulfilled will be shaped by difficulties that you go through. I'll say that again. The person you and I want to become and the destiny that you want to fulfill will be shaped by the things that you go through if you embrace them properly. They either transform you and push you in that direction or they twist you and they move you away from it. I could never be doing what I'm doing right now, what I've been doing the last three, four years, if I hadn't gone through things like this that now gives me a life to talk about transformation and it gives me a authority or a life to talk about leaders. How do we do this over time so we remain healthy? I would have never guessed in a million years that God would use this 
to push me toward my destiny and not away from it, but that's what he's done. So as I read this, think in your mind, which side of the equation is life pushing you? For those who do not hold a Christian worldview, you may be here today and you do not yet. The reality that our purpose, that our response to life shape us still holds true, so it's for everybody. You can't get away from this. Over the years, I've observed a variety of ways people have responded to difficulty and as a result, how they have been shaped by them. Now, here's the options you have to determine which side you fall on. Some become hardened, others more humble. Some become cynical, others more grateful. Some grow to resent life, others discover a deeper purpose to life. Some wilt, others bloom. Some learn to hate, others learn to love. Some become hopeless, others become more resilient. Some are blown off course, others are moved toward their destiny. Life shapes us. No one is exempt. It's not a question of if life will shape us, it's only a question of how will it shape us. Our response determines the outcome. The choice is yours. God's goal for us is to become more and more shaped in the image of His Son. He gives us the tools so that we can become that. New nature, power of the Holy Spirit, new mind transformed by the Word. But then He uses 24-7 things in our life, small and big, as a tool to sculpt us more and more of who we're to become and what He wants us to accomplish. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are such a good, good God. This life can be tough. Life is tough. But you and your wisdom, your sovereignty, your ability, if we will work with you, you work with us. Somehow you end up using it as a tool to shape us and to move us in the right direction. I pray for Life Church that day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, there'll be a people individually and collectively as a spiritual community that reflects the image of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Life Church Podcast. 